0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you want us to see from this section of scripture and that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. O you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpets in Koya, and set up a sign of fire in beth hach For evil appears out of the north and a great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flocks shall come unto her. They shall pitch their tents against her round about, and they shall feed everyone in his place. Prepare you war against her. Arise, and let's go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goes away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. Arise, let us go up by night, and let us destroy her palaces." We're going to stop there for just a moment. So we're continuing this prophecy of destruction on Israel, uh, actually Judah. And they're getting ready to be going into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And I think oftentimes we're also looking at the end days when we, read, when we read some of this as well. But it says, you children of Benjamin, gather yourself to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoia. And set up a sign of fire in Hacharim, for evil appears out of the north and a great destruction. So here he is talking to Benjamin. And Benjamin is one of the two tribes of the southern kingdom. We have Judah and we have Benjamin. So he's saying, pay attention. It says, blow the trumpet or the so so far. And that is either used for attack, retreat. It is used to give commands. And in this case, I'm sure it's retreat because he's saying flee Jerusalem don't don't stick around and it says set up a sign or a portion of fire in Becharam and fire was representative of God's sacrifice system and he's going but he's not going he's going to tell him later on I'm not paying attention to your sacrifices he's saying do all of these things he goes for an evil appears out of the north and great destruction Nebuchadnezzar was north of them in Babylon and he was going to come down and be their conqueror. In the end days, they're told that the northern nations will come down and attack Israel again. Israel keeps getting attacked from the north. And I personally believe it'll be from that Iran, Iraq, you know, most people have said Russia, but I really do believe it's going to be Iran and Iraq that becomes the leaders during this period of time when they're attacked again. Uh, And so we look at this and he says, I have likened The daughter of Zion and Zion remember is the poetic name for Jerusalem to a comely and delicate woman or a woman that is of um, desirous in other words he goes and that is God's attitude toward Israel and his people he goes he called Israel his bride God said Israel is my bride and He was always complaining that Israel was going into adultery with all these foreign gods and he brought judgment upon them. And in this case, he's saying, you are likened as to a daughter, a comely and delicate woman that needs to be, in God's eyes, protected and kept and and cared for. And yet they were constantly rejected him and went out and did other things. He says, "The shepherds with their flocks shall come unto her and pitch their tents against around about her, and shall feed everyone in his place." Now, this is kind of an insulting statement to them. Nebuchadnezzar is coming down. He goes, "But even shepherds can take you." <laughs> All right, even the shepherds. You know, the, you know, shepherds aren't you know really known known for their battle. <laughs> they will protect their sheep, sheep and their flocks with great uh, gusto but they're not known as people that are going to attack cities. And God's saying, even the shepherds can come and take you because he's turned against them. And this is the problem. When God is not on your side, it doesn't take much to get you defeated. And we've all seen this at times. If we've been in rebellion to God and and we look back over our life and we go, how did I fall for something like that? How did that defeat me? And then there's other times when God's on our side and it's like nothing can take us. And we're David going out against that giant saying, I am going to be victorious against this giant. And there's other times when you know, we get tripped up by a piece of grass <laughs> and, you know, and fall flat on our face you know, and there was nothing there. And that's what he's saying. These shepherds can take you. These shepherds in your area are going to... And it says, prepare for war against your arise and go up at noon... And then it says, woe for us or alas for us, the day is away and the shadows of evening are coming. Now why this is happening, you don't go to battle at nighttime, basically is what, what they're saying. And God says, go ahead and do it anyway. You're going to be victorious. Uh, in our day and age, we do a lot of night fighting. In their day and age, there wasn't a whole lot of night fighting that went on. Your swords and spears and, and, and slings, you wanted to be able to see your enemy. In our day, we've got all the infrascopes and the infrared scopes and everything. We can see the enemy pretty clearly and we can shoot from a distance at anything that moves. And we don't have a problem with night, but in their time, night was not a good time, especially if you're going against a city because you're gonna be out in the open and they're gonna be behind the pillars and the, and the slits of the windows and, the, and all of that. And so this was not, and the guy says, go ahead and take them. <laughs> it's night, go ahead, keep attacking. This is really making an accusation about how bad Israel had gotten, or Judah had gotten. God is saying, you are going to fall. And at this point in time, they believed that Jerusalem was impregnable. Nobody had ever conquered them since David had conquered the city. There was one nation where they almost got conquered, and when they beat them, they, they, re, they re-fortified the city. And up to this point, it they, they was considered they were impregnable. Nobody could get to them. Why? Because they were up on a mountainside. It was hard to surround them. They had water. They had places that they could make some, grow some food inside the walls. The walls were thick, very much like Jericho, very much like Babylon itself. They were considered impregnable. And God took Jericho out, you know, by a miracle. But they're saying, huh, we we've got. We've got the temple here. We've got God on our side, and we've got this impregnable city. So they thought, we are sitting pretty. Yeah, we're worshiping idols, but God is still on our side. We have his temple. And God is saying, no, you don't have me on your side. You are going to fall. And it's an amazing thing that when people are deep into sin, how often they will not recognize that God is not on their side. And they will put their trust in all kinds of things and find out that God says you're going to fall and you're, and you're going to fall hard. And all through Israel's history, they go, we've got a temple. God, you know, we've got God's temple here. God is dwelling in our city. We cannot lose. We even saw it in Jesus' day. They would say the same thing. We got, a temp- we got God the temple. God dwells in that temple. We cannot lose. We cannot be defeated because God dwells in this temple. But oftentimes Christians do the same thing and God does dwell in us and we're going, I can go out and live like the devil and do what I want and God is still going to take care of me. Well yeah, he'll take care of you as he punishes you and spanks your backside and lets things bad happen to you because of your disobedience. And this is where they're at. They're not recognizing their sin. They're not recognizing where they're at and thinking we're unbeatable. We've got this beautiful city out there. Nobody's defeated it. We've got God in his temple. You know, granted, we're not worshiping him or doing anything for him. But, you know, God is in this town and he says that we're his people and he will not let us fall we need to be very careful that we don't get into that kind of an attitude, that we recognize that we are to obey. God expects obedience. Now, we are under grace and mercy, and God will still love us, still take us to heaven, but there's a lot of lost reward by not serving God. When we sit back and go, I'm just going to do what I want, and I am truly truly saved. Number one, I have problems with somebody who could say, I'm going to do what I want and you know, without conviction, that bothers me in the first place. But even if they are saved and they're doing what they want, what are they really losing? Their reward in heaven. They're not serving God. There's a reward that's lost. There's a peace that's lost. There's a joy that's lost. The life in this world is 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 taken down. When we're following God, there's a peace in this lifetime. There's a peace in everything that's going on. There's rewards that we're going to get here and in heaven. And when we're rejecting him, God's taking us out behind the woodshed wood and spanking us all the time. And, you know, it's the rebellious child who doesn't live, doesn't, isn't happy with the family because they're always in trouble. And this is where Israel is. They're the rebellious child, always in trouble. And God is saying, it's coming. It's coming for you. Verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, chop down your trees and cast a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be visited. She is holy, she is holy oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casts out her water, so she cast out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Be you instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate and a land not inhabited. So here we have God still telling them to repent. He's going, you're going to be destroyed, but repent. And his description is hard. You know, first he says, "Uh, cut down all the trees and cast a mound against Jerusalem. And what this means is he's saying build battering rams, build uh, catapults, build up the, the ground so that you can walk up and make uh, ladders. He's telling them to build siege engines. Get ready to attack. Chop down all the trees in the area and make an attack against this city. Why? Because she is wholly oppressed or literally she has wholly gained by extortion. Now this is a hard word. He's saying evil is so bad that people inside that city are gaining corrupt gain, extorting one another, extorting their neighbors. This is a and when I think about what goes on in our world today, and go, God, uh, are we very close to uh, Jerusalem being judged? Because we're seeing people that are constantly defrauding one another, cheating one another and you know bragging about it in the process. I've seen people, well I really got the best of that deal, I got this thing for nothing and then I turned around and I sold it for five times what I what I paid for it and I really got a good deal. Well yeah you were a great businessman. uh, Not a godly businessman but a great businessman by the world standards. Because God is saying, don't cheat one another, be honest. Now that doesn't mean we can't get a good deal and turn around and sell things. But I've seen people and I know I know certain people in my around me that they can get something and they can get you to sell it to them for nothing, literally. And they know that they're cheating you in the process. And then they turn around and they make their profit. And they're taking every bit and made you take a loss while they get a big gain. This is what God's talking about. You are not leaving anything on the table for the other person. You're taking everything. You're cheating one another. And it says, as a fountain casts out her water, so she casts out her wickedness. Now, this is hard to think about. Jerusalem was so wicked that God's saying wickedness is pouring out of my city. My people have gotten so wicked and God is saying it's like the fountain. It's just gushing out. And I never ever think about Jerusalem that way myself, but it's very clear that at their end time, God is saying they are completely evil. The sad thing is when we see this kind of stuff around churches and stuff, I've seen churches that were more like businesses than churches. And you're going, what is going on? Are you really ministering to people or are you taking advantage of everything? We have mega churches where these guys are fleecing the flock with their, with their offerings and their sales and, and everything. Uh, one of the things that really bothers me is I go see is these fundraisers in churches where the person is supposed to be a man of God is the preacher and they're saying, come see me and pay for this dinner to see me. That bothers me. You know, did God give you the gift or is it your own gift? Why should people be paying to see God's gift? Why you off of it? Uh, so they can make some profit off, of I mean, really gift, profit off of it. That's true. Yeah, there shouldn't be. Now, I have no problem. You want to have a big dinner and speak? Great. Do an, do an offering. And if it's really God's will that that project take off, then that offering is going to be a big offering. And I personally think they'll make more money that way than doing things the world's way, but how many times have we seen things done the way the world does, and I'm seeing it more and more in churches, they're going, well, we've got to do this entertainment, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, you know, the world tells us that, you know, people won't sit long for a message, so we've got to break our 30-minute messages into three 10-minute breaks, and then have songs, and, and plays, and everything in between, because that's all the people will endure, And I'm going, that's sad. That is truly sad if that's what it is. Or we have to play our music so that people's ears bleed because that's what the young people want. And I'm going, okay, how does causing pain in people's ears glorify God? Well, that's what the people want. And I go to those services and it looks like I went to a rock concert. Everybody's standing up, rushing to the stage and jumping up and down. And they're not worshiping God, they're worshiping the band. And you go, what is going on here? We are so committed to doing things the world's way than to do it to honor God. Now, I'm not saying we can't learn things from the world. The world has some, some decent ideas, but we need to make sure we're not drifting into the world when we do these things. And we want to be very careful about that. And not be looking at this. He says... Uh, Violence and spoil is heard in her before me continually is grief and wounds. God is saying the violence in there, the spoil inside the city is causing him pain. Now, have you ever thought of the fact that God feels pain by what's going on in this world? I think just by the very fact that man fell caused God pain, even though he knew it was going to happen. I think every time he looks at this world and says, This is not what I created. I created a perfect world where people were going to live and not die, no no disease, no no pain. And it's got to create pain in him just to see what's going on in this world. It's getting back like Noah's day. It's very much like Noah's day. Now I don't know how far we have to get to be in the days of Noah, but that's what it said. The end days would be as the days of Noah. And everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, and we're starting to see just that happening. And not just in one or two nations, but around the entire world. And that's one of the reasons I think we're very close to the ends, because there's no nation to come up as a righteous nation that I can see. Now God may still bring a nation up and and hold off the end days, I don't know. Because we're not a righteous nation. We're not a righteous nation. None of Europe is a righteous nation. Most of Asia is not righteous. So if anybody rises up, it's got to be out of, of out of South America or or Africa, and most of those aren't righteous nations that I've seen. I don't think there's a righteous nation out there seeking after God right now, which definitely moves us into the end times. And the UN and the and the big nations are trying to push all the sin on these other nations. You know. South America and Africa are pushing against a lot of the sinful desires, but it's being pushed hard on them. If they want the support of the great nations and the UN, they have to accept all the sinful activities. Right now there's a little bit of pushback, but I don't see anything that's going to be coming back as a great nation coming to power. Now, God is in charge, so anything can happen. But I do think we're at the end days because it looks like sin is sweeping the entire world with nobody really standing up against it and this is going to be the case and he says this violence is there it is coming before his face it is hurting him and i kind of think in terms of you know when our children do something wrong and make bad decisions it really does hurt the parent you know to see the child make bad decisions at least it does me with my kids if they're making bad decisions i go Oh, come on, guys. I trained you better than that. You were raised under God. Why would you do? Why are you doing this? And of course, they're adults, so you can't really say stop. (laughs) You can recommend that they stop, but you're, you know, they're, they're their own people. And God is looking at his children and saying, it is awful and it's causing me great pain. And I can, and I've said this many times, when God sits at the white throne judgment and has to send people to hell like they wanted to, to have happen or the lake of fire, I really do believe he's going to have tears in his eyes and pain in his heart giving them what they wanted. You rejected me. The lake of fire is your, your end destination. But I do believe there'll be tears in his eyes and pain in his heart that he gives them what they want because he has to give them righteous judgment. And he cannot do anything else. And then verse 8 is a really good one. Be instructed or taught, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate and land un, uh, not inhabited. He's saying repent. Even though they're on the edge of destruction, God is saying repent. Turn around. Now God... This is very interesting because God knows they're not going to turn around. But even at this point, he's saying, repent, repent. He's given them every opportunity to turn around. And God does this with people. He keeps offering them salvation over and over and over again. And I'm almost convinced, and I really do believe it's true, that right before somebody dies, God gives one last shot. To give repentance, get the message to them. Give them, so that when they die, they will know that they died rejecting him. Now, I can't prove that scripturally, but I just, from what I have seen and over and over again, people have had that one last shot. One last time. Here's the, here's the gospel message. Sometimes they repent, sometimes they don't. But God, all the way, even though he knows that they're going to reject, he still comes and says, I want you to repent. I want you to turn around. He knows Israel is not going to repent. But he's still sitting there saying, repent. Here's your chance. Just repent and turn back to me, and I will turn all of this around. It's just on the outside he knows that they're not, but, he, but there's the thing about it is God is going to not be under the accusation of we never had a chance. Nobody ever told us. And this is even going to happen at the white throne judgment. There is not a person that's going to stand before God and say, I did not know. Now, how they know, who knows? But God is going to be giving them, every single person, a chance. And when they stand before them, they're not going to be say, no, I never had a chance. I never knew. God's going to say, here, 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 and here is when you were told. Right before you died, right before you fell into judgment, you were told. Thief on the cross, one last time, and he responded. Uh, Over and over again, we see this, people getting saved right at the last moment of their life. And you know, God doesn't care when they get saved, he just wants them saved. Now I'm sure that he would have preferred them to have gotten saved much earlier, and not gone through all the hassles and headaches and trouble that they went through. But God said, you're going to get to spend eternity with me. And that's the beautiful thing. It doesn't matter when we turn to God, when we seek him, we get to spend eternity with him. Now, I think it's better the earlier we get. I think I was very blessed by getting saved at age 10 and living living for God through my teen years and, and most of my life and not having all the headaches and hassles and problems that were developed because of that. But you know what? I'm no better off than anybody else. In many ways, when it comes to eternity, I'm not any better off. Because we'll all go to eternity and be blessed. I just had a better lifetime without the consequences. All right? So I do believe it's better to turn to God early. But I also know many people who did really crazy things when they were teenagers and, uh, and young, young adults and wrecked up their body. And then they do get older and they're, and they're in total pain the rest of their life, you know, even at an early life. I can't imagine what it'd be. I feel the pain just getting old, but again, you know, with the body being messed up on top of that would be a really hard thing. And some people get a healed body. Some people, I mean, it's very interesting that God does what he wants. And I've always been amazed when I watch people because some people get miraculously saved and everything changes in their life instantly. I've always looked at them going, God, why didn't you do that with me? (laughs) It's taken me decades to get where I'm at. But you know one of the things I have noticed though, when God miraculously changes somebody like that, they have a lot less patience for those of us that don't get miraculously saved. They go, I got saved, you know, I changed completely, what's wrong with you? There's a pride that ends up getting into most of those people. That I think they have a problem with, you know, what happened to me? Why didn't God do it to you? There must be something wrong with you. You're not as spiritual as me. Not all of them, doesn't happen to everybody, but a lot of them that I have met over the years will have that, you know, I'm better, you know, this is, look how fast God healed, you know, fixed me up. I am almost glad that God has taken years to get me because it makes me more patient with other people that have that same issue. God didn't change me overnight. Now, he did take away my temper, but most of everything else has taken a long time to develop. But I do believe that everybody will have something change in their life when they get saved. So his promise is, turn to me and you won't be destroyed. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be a consequence for all their disobedience. But he says, I won't make you uninhabited. I won't make you desolate. And what's going to happen when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, we know historically, Nebuchadnezzar takes down the walls of the city, destroys the temple, and destroys the city. When Ezra and Nehemiah come back to it 70 years later, they have to rebuild the whole city. And it's not any place that people want to live in because of how bad it had been destroyed. And that is the consequence of their sin, that their entire city. Their impregnable city with God's beautiful temple in it was totally destroyed. And that was the consequence of their sin. And God is saying, just repent and I won't make everything desolate. And this is what he's saying to everybody in this day and age. Repent. Turn back to me or face great judgment. Even for his children. Repent or face trials and tribulations and hardship. And it's so much easier to repent. I've had to learn the hard way over the years, but it's so much easier to repent and get get over with. I've learned to surrender to God a lot faster than I've ever surrendered to him in the past. I was very hard-headed and stubborn and fought with him a a lot of times. And he had to break me, make life difficult. And... All I had to do was pay attention, repent, <laughs> and not be made desolate during those periods of time. And that's his statement to it. Verse 9 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, You shall thoroughly they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back your hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore am I, I am full of fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken and the aged with him that is full of days. And their houses shall be turned unto others and their ...fields and wives together, and I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness, and from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed also the, they have healed also the herd of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At that time I will visit them, and they shall cast down and be cast down, says the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the way, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. Ye shall find rest for your souls. But they say, We will not walk therein. Also I said, Watchmen over them, saying, Hearken unto the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. So here we have a lot going on. This God's bringing his judgment. He says, He said, If you repent, you won't be made desolate. Then he goes on, But now you will be thoroughly gleaned. And he says, The remnant of Israel is as is a vine, and they turned back their hand as the grape gatherers into the basket. In other words, they, went, they ran their hand down the grape one time. And then they went back and went and did it again and did it again. They pulled every bit of the grapes off. And this is what he's describing. When they get done with you, there will be nothing left. No seed left of you. And when Nebuchadnezzar took the people, he took them out in three different groups. The first time he took the nobility, the best. The second time he took all but the poorest of the poor. And The third time he took most of the poor. He left a very, very small remnant in Israel. And those got intermarried with the Gentiles and became the Samaritans. So we have this whole problem of he says, I'm going to take everybody there won't be anything left. Now that's a pretty sad state to be. When God says, I'm not going to leave anything because of your disobedience. And they're not, still not listening. <laughs> they're still not ready to repent. And then he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Now, I find this very interesting. It sounds to me like God is hardening hearts in Israel at this point. Just as he did to Pharaoh. They've rejected him, rejected him, rejected him, and said, fine, you want to reject me? You have uncircumcised ears. You cannot hear. And this is a very funny thing. If you can remember maybe somebody you've talked to that is not saved, and they just don't understand plain teaching, or maybe you can remember back when you got saved and the Bible didn't make any sense, and you maybe sat down in a message and none of it really made sense, and then you got saved, and all of a sudden the Bible makes sense, and you're... Your hearing, your sight is changed and circumcised. He says, you all are in a place where you cannot hear because you choose not to hear, basically. Uh, And it says, you are uncircumcised and they cannot. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. And I find this interesting. It is a taunt. You know, his word is like a taunt. he says they have no delight i think it's so funny when i talk to people about god's word and it's really fun to talk to a christian about god's word because there's delight in in the word of god they're really excited then you talk to somebody who's not a christian or definitely not following him closely and everything about it that bible is just full of a bunch of negative laws and rules and how can you think of such a great book they don't see the beauty of God's word in any way, shape, or form. All they hear is a bunch of scorn and taunts. And, you know, that book is full of all these, this mean God that's trying to punish him. There's nothing good in it. And God is saying there's no delight in his word. And all through the Psalms, David talks about the delight in God's word. The joy of delighting in his word. And, you know, when I read his word, I delight in his word. I love reading the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I love being taught by teachers of the Bible. I take delight in his word. And he's saying these people of Israel did not delight in his word. They did not want to hear it at all. All they heard was taunts and scorns and hard hard times. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. They're They're so evil that most of what he's saying is, repent or get judged and all they hear is not the repent side you're going to be judged that's what they hear you're going to be judged you're going to be judged and they miss all the repent and get away from all of this and the same thing when we tell people the gospel message all they hear is the negative side you're, going to, you're telling me I'm going to go to hell well that's true I'm telling you go to hell unless you have changed and repented and turned to Jesus remember that second half of it <laughs> you know uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And many people stop there instead of saying, But the gift of God is eternal life. And the world oftentimes stops at that, the wages of sin is death, and leave out, they don't hear even when it's spoken, But the gift of God is eternal life. And the world tunes out the good news and only focuses on the bad news. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing because we're, we're human beings. And if we're not following by the spirit, we tend to do the same thing. We look at all the negatives and not the positives. And I like to look at God's word and I, I see nothing but positive in it pretty much. Yes, I see the negatives. I see the judgment. But I see I don't have to have any of those negatives and positives. All I've got to do is repent and, and walk with him and be in him and not have all those negatives. And I look at it and go, wow, look how powerful this is. How miserable is life when you look at nothing but the negatives? Um, one of the guys at work, he's always negative. He's always got to shoot down any good plan, any idea is shot down. He won't even look at it because it's different from what he wants and he's going to knock it down and, and make it miserable and make it, make it bad. We tend to do that a lot of times with God. God, I know what you're saying sounds so good, but uh, I, I want to live this way, and I know you tell me that that's going to bring judgment, but I really want to live this way. And God says, that's fine. If you want to live that way, then fine. You're going to have the judgment. God gives us plenty of choices. We get to choose what we want, and the consequences will follow. Now, that doesn't mean all good things will happen to us when we get saved and walk with Him, But, you know, our attitude toward it will be different. Our attitude will be, God, you've got a good plan, and I want to just walk in whatever you want. Because maybe what I go through is going to make somebody else want you. And if they want you, God, do what you need to do. And I've said this over and over. I'm willing for God to do anything he wants with me as long as somebody is going to get saved. Give me all the trouble I need as long as somebody is going to see it and get saved. Now, that's a hard thing to really accept, but it really is a true statement. Are we willing to suffer if somebody were to get saved? Uh, Paul said, you know, if God, if it were possible, I would go to hell if my people Israel would be saved. Now, I think he knew that there was no way it was possible, but I'm not ready to make that prayer. I'm not quite ready to say I'll go to hell for, for everybody else to get saved. But Paul said that, and I think he meant it. He loved his people enough that said, God, if you would just save Israel, if you would just bring all of Israel in, I'd be willing to suffer for eternity. And that is a hard statement. I don't think I love anybody quite that much. And yet Paul loved, his, loved the people of Israel, and they gave him a hard time. They didn't respond like the Gentiles did. And yet he says, these people that are giving me a hard time, God, I'd be willing to suffer if, it was, if, they, if you would win them. All of them. <laughs> and this is what comes down. Do we delight in the word of God? and Or not? The world does not delight in the word of God. They do not see it the way it is supposed to be. It says, therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary in holding it in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad. And upon the assembly of young men. For even the husband and with the wife shall be taken. And the aged with the full of days. I'm going to leave out the italics because I don't think the italics work in that area. But he's saying, I'm bringing judgment and nobody is going to be free of this judgment coming down. The husband will not be able to protect his wife. The person who is old is not going to get, be able to get away, get away from the judgment either. And what is God saying? Even the weak ones are going to fall in this judgment. Because most of the time you figure, well, I'm going to go to war. So the men would go to war and everybody else would be okay. The old would be protected. The wives would be protected. The children would be protected. And God's saying, nobody is going to get away from this judgment. That is severe judgment that God is bringing in. And he's he's pleading with them at this point. Please surrender. Please repent. Otherwise, everyone is going to suffer. Nobody is going to get away from this suffering as he's going through on this. It says their houses shall be turned to others and their fields and their wives together, for I will stretch out my hand on the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Their very own their homes and their wives. It wasn't uncommon in those days when you lost the battle that the wives became the property of the conquerors and became basically concubines and slaves. And he says, I'm going to take your homes. I'm going to take your wives. And they're going to belong to others. And again, he's saying, repent. This is the consequences. If you don't repent, these are the consequences that are facing you. And it says, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And this word for covetousness is gained by violence. This isn't just standard covetousness. This is, I want it and I'm taking it mentality that God is talking about there's violence in there people are abusing one another and it literally is dog eat dog uh, the one who's strongest is the winner in their mentality you have what I want I'm taking it and this is the way it was in Israel at that time that in Jerusalem at that time people were taking whatever they wanted and you know there had to be some group of people though that got lost everything because there's always somebody that's weak amongst the strong. And the strong are losing everything to the, to the stronger. And God is saying, this is the way it is. And from the prophets, even to the police, everyone deals falsely. So he's saying, even my righteous ones, the ones that are supposed to be righteous, are dealing falsely. They're liars. <laughs> They're gaining by deception. What a wicked place Jerusalem and Israel, uh, Judah must have been. The priests are a bunch of liars. The people are taking what they want. And you read this and you're going, God, how bad is it? And you think about what is our world today coming into? We're seeing these kind of things happening. People are deceptive. There are many people that are just abusing anybody that's weaker than them and taking what they want. Because they feel they're stronger and, and and need it more or want it more or whatever their whatever their logic is, I see a lot of what God is condemning here happening. And He goes, and I, He goes. They have healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Very much like today. Look how much peace we have. There is no war out there. Everybody is okay. You're going to be okay. They're, you're not going to be hurt. And the prophets, the false prophets in Jerusalem, were saying, "Ah, there's peace. We are in this, we're in this unbeatable city. We've we got God's temple here. We're okay. We're going to be okay. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar's all out there, and he's, you know, he's coming, but we're going to be okay. Nobody can take us. God is on our side. His temple's over here." And God is saying, I'm not on your side. You have not repented. And yet they're saying, Peace. And it says, it healed them a little bit. It gave them a little bit of balm. Their emotions are not hurting. Jeremiah is telling them, God's taken the city, God's given the city over. And all the other prophets and priests are saying, You know, Jeremiah's lying to you. you know, we're in a city that'll never be conquered. Uh, you know, God's on our side. And that is a hard thing. And this is where we are today in, in the churches. We've got so many so-called Christian churches saying everything's okay. You know, God is on our side. We, you know, homosexuality is okay. Adultery is okay. Fornication is okay. Hey, you can steal and lie a little bit as long as it's not going to hurt too many people and you're okay. And everything's okay. And then you have the true believing churches saying God still calls sin, sin. And they make fun of us. They attack us. And the world goes, what's wrong with you Bible-believing guys? You know, can't you get past that old decrepit book of myths and stories and get in, get in line and you know, evolve with the rest of the, the, these churches that have grown? And we're going, no, we can't. God's word doesn't change. And they'll keep attacking on us. And this is what was going on here. Jeremiah speaking the word. Speaking the word. And everybody is against him. You know, I, I would have hated to have been Jeremiah because God even told him, nobody's going to listen to you. From the very beginning. You're not going to have any converts because of how wicked they were and how God had already stepped against them. And Jeremiah gets to be the voice <laughs> crying out, this is what you're going to do. All you got to do is repent and God will forgive you. And nobody ever repents. Or at least not enough people to repent to make any changes. I am sure some people had to have listened to him somewhere, but he's crying out, and he's like screaming into the storm, and nobody's listening. So I think we fall into that, that if nobody's listening, why should I say anything? We always do. It's a very big temptation to fall into that, to I not listen. That's a big part of, part of me. It's like, you're not going to listen you well, know, but we need, we need to make sure we're Jeremiah and sharing it anyway. Jeremiah at one point does say, you know, I'm not going to speak for you anymore, God. I'm tired of being thrown into prisons and being not listened to. And the very next statement says, your word burned in my mouth. And I could not but speak. If you cannot speak, you know, you know then you've got a problem. <laughs> There's times I have to speak. Now there's not always, I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. But there's also times when I just know I have to say something. And I have to speak. And I feel like Jeremiah at times. God, I I don't want to say it anymore. I'm tired of nobody listening. I'm tired of not, not having anybody respond. And all of a sudden it just burns and I have to say what God is putting in my heart. And this is the problem. Are we always going to speak? Probably not. Are we always going to do, speak to the people we're supposed to speak? Probably not. We're human beings. We fear. We're afraid. We're, we're, we're having the idea of, well, nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to care what I say. But our words might be just the one little spark that they need. And even if it's not, it might be the spark that God wanted to say, this was your last chance. This was your last chance. It's way not up to us. It's not up to us. We need to speak. speak whatever. And it doesn't matter what happens because it's God that or, that's orchestrating what happens. And we have to understand I am not eloquent enough to win anybody anyway. It has to be God using me and using my words. I've had the pleasure of being able to speak to people and have, see them get saved. There's many times when I'm sure all I've done is plant a seed or water a seed. And who all is going to get saved in the long run? I don't know. I'll find out in heaven. And was I the only one that ever talked to the people who got saved? Nope. There were plenty of people that watered the seed and planted the seed long before I did. And they all get credit for for all of that work as well. We're not accountable for what people do to what is said. We're accountable only to speak the word. And there's many people, even in my family, that I have shared the gospel with, and they have not responded to the best of my knowledge. And I'm going, God, don't let them die without making a decision for you. But I have done my part. They're not going to get to heaven and say, you never told me. I'm going, no, I told you. I shared the gospel with you. You didn't want to hear the gospel. You didn't accept the gospel. But I shared it with you. And this is what we need to be doing is it doesn't matter what the response is. Even Jesus, not everybody responded to Jesus. And he was God. And not everybody responded to him. And he was a great example of just speak. And if they're not going to respond to Jesus directly, why would, they, why would we expect everybody for us that we speak to to respond? And, but we don't always think in these terms. We don't always think in these terms that, that God has been rejected. Abraham excuse me, Adam and Eve rejected God, and they spoke with him every day in the cool of the night. And they rejected him. You know, we need to be careful that we don't start saying, well, I'm not going to speak because people aren't going to listen to me. God has over and over again said the same thing to people. And over and over again they have rejected him. They and, just the- well, not the way God wants them. They respond negatively instead of positively. And billions, if not trillions of people are going to go into hell having rejected God. God. And he has spoken to them over and over through his servants, his people, his word, directly through dreams, whatever it takes, he will get them responded and trillions of people are going to reject. And if they're gonna reject God directly, then we need to be bold and just say, I'm gonna share. As clumsy as it might be, as bad as it might be, we share what we have and lift him up to the best of our ability and let the spirit talk. And one of the greatest things that I have found over the years is the more that I let God talk through me, the better. There are times when I'm talking to somebody and I know it's not me talking because I'm listening to me or I'm listening to my voice knowing that God is speaking through me. And, okay, God, thank you. <laughs> hopefully, that, hopefully that did something for them. But there's other times when it's been me and I've just done the best I can as i fumbled and bumbled through, through the speech. But God is saying, I want to reach them. I want them to pay attention, even though they're not going to listen very well. Verse 15 says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. This is a very interesting statement. He goes, They have seared their conscience so bad that they are not even aware that they have done anything wrong, and I think this is what's happening in today's world. There was a time when modesty so was so important to people that if you got caught in an immodest uh, appearance, you blushed. It's like this is not appropriate. Now we have males and females barely running around with any clothes on, not blushing. You know, willing to do anything and everything <laughs> to draw people's attention to them. And God is saying, you know, not, you're, you're, they were in that day able to do evil and not feel any shame. Not, not blush, not, not care. And it's probably bad that we're in this world at this time that does not know how to blush. How to feel shame for their actions. And how do we see this? because people are blatant with their sin. Even when they know it's wrong, they may, you know, these people who are trying to be transgender and homosexual and adulterers and fornicators, deep down they know that it's not right, which is why they are never happy in that lifestyle. They'll, they'll blame everybody else. Nobody is accepting me. Nobody, you're all making me feel bad. Well, if you were really that confident in who you are and what you think you are, why do you need other people's approval? You need their approval because you know that what you're doing is wrong. And if you've ever done it, you know what it's like to go out and do something that's wrong. And I've had a couple of times when I've done something and i am just going, God, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there's no pleasure in it when you do it that way. It's one thing to find yourself in sin, then you at least have that momentary pleasure of sin. But when God is already telling you that it's wrong... And you go do it anyway, there's no pleasure. You don't even have that momentary pleasure at that because you know that you were being disobedient. And God is saying they don't even know how to feel shame, they don't understand any of it. And our world is getting to that point where people do not even know shame, do not even acknowledge that they should be ashamed. And that's what God's saying here about Israel. And, he, and in their case, they know better. They have his word. They've been taught his word. And they still do not have shame that comes down on them. And it says, neither could they bless. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at that time that I have visited them. And they shall be cast down, says the Lord. He says that you're going to fall not only are they going to fall, but God later on in the chapter says, I'm going to put stumbling blocks to make them fall. Why? Because God is saying, if, I, if you fall, maybe I'll get your attention. If you, if you fall down and things are made rough, maybe your attention will be grabbed and you'll maybe learn how to have shame and blush. You might decide that I need to turn around because I have now fallen. And most of the time when people fall down, they blame others. It's your fault. Yeah, well, God has arranged it that they're going to fall. Thus saith the Lord, Stand you in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And you shall find rest for your souls. But they say, we will not walk therein. God is saying, go back to the old ways. Go back to when you walked with me. When you delighted in my word. When you sought me. When you gave your sacrifices look for that. Find somebody who knows how to get there. (laughs) Seek it out. And he says, but you're saying we will not walk in those ways. And I find it so sad that in today's world, more and more people are saying, I will not walk in the ways of God. We've got people, our scientists out there, that are saying, We know that what we believe has problems, but we cannot accept that there's a God. Why? They don't say this, but why? Because if there's a God, we have somebody to be accountable to. And if there's a God, He can tell us how to live. If there's a God, He can give us rules. We don't want to live by His rules. We will not walk in His ways. Just as Israel was saying, we will not walk in His ways. And God is saying, Go seek out the good ways. Go seek the old ways out, the ways that follow me. And then the last part was is I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken unto the sound of the trumpets. Watchmen, the guards, that sound the warning. And it says, You will not hear, you will not hearken. They're sounding the alarm. And each year we get less and less watchmen sounding the alarm, which is what scares me most in this, in, this, in this world is that it seems like there's less and less watchmen sounding the alarm saying, God is bringing judgment. And more and more people saying, we don't, we don't hear those trumpets. They're going, all, what, what's, those, what's all that noise around us? Nope, we're not listening. We're not hearing the trumpets. We're not hearing the warnings. We're not caring that things are coming to a culmination. We're not caring that God is going to bring judgment because we're ignoring the warnings. And it will come so suddenly upon this world when God moves. And I hear it all the time from people. We'll say, the end times are soon. And people go, well, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. And I'm going, yeah, you're right. But we're a lot closer than we ever have been. We have a time now when the world is screaming for one world government one world leader we have a world is screaming for no borders and no nations where they're screaming for a currency that is common around the world everything is in place and we have the technology to be able to deliver most of it if not all of it and people are wanting it one of the things that scared me early on in the covid was people were crying out we need a leader that's going to deliver us from this not just from a government leader, they wanted a leader to come up in the world to deliver them from all the panic that was going on. And I'm going, wow, are we really at the end days that close that people want a one-world leader? And the answer is yes. They want a one-world leader. And they want to see this great leader come up. They want to see the nations wiped out. Why? Because most of the educated people have been taught that the nations are what's bad. It's the nation. If we didn't have nations, we would have peace. We'd have world peace and everybody would be singing Kumbaya and enjoying their life by the firesides and nobody would be hurting one another. Why do they believe that? Because they don't know God says that we are all full of iniquity in our heart. They teach that, you're, that we're all basically good, and if we just had a perfect environment, everything would be okay. No, Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment, and everything was not okay. And they were led into sin. And anybody given an opportunity to do what they want will do evil. This is why I really get crazy when when Christian parents especially say, well, I'm just going to let my kids live the way they want and make their own decision about following God. I'm going, you are really foolish. You know, My kids, they're not perfect kids by far, but my kids had a problem. They were drugged to church all the time. Whether they wanted to or not, they got drugged to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And any youth events that were going on. They were were taken to church. Didn't matter whether they wanted to or not, I didn't care. Because I wanted them to hear the word of God as much as possible. And we talked about the word of God at home a lot. My kids have always been they've been amazed as they become adults and going, wow, we know more than most of the people in the groups that we are in, and we don't we never felt like we learned anything. Because it was done constantly. It was done in the home. The Bible was read, Bible was studied. I took my dad's example. When my kids asked me a question, I went back to the Bible for their answer. I hated it when my dad did that. Dad, can I do such a... Well, let's see what the Bible says. <laughs> you know, it's kind of easy to argue with dad. A little harder to deal with God, uh, argue with God. But I did the same thing with my kids. I raised them with the idea, here's what God says about this. You know, and then you're going to have to figure out what you want to do, but this is what God says. And sometimes I was more strong. But usually, especially as they got older, this is what God says. You know, when they got to be 15, 16 years old, it was like, okay, you're going to have to make your decision. Are you following God or not? Now, I never gave them the opportunity not to go to church. Show but everything you, else was... Show me where it says in the Bible you can do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done that to them too. So we have all of this going on. It says, you're not listening to the warnings. You're not... Seeking to walk in my ways. This is all the consequences of not repenting. And still the same consequences to this day for not repenting. People not seeking after God's ways. Not listening to the warning signs. Not knowing how to even be ashamed of their actions. And still going on to this day. And intensifying. Um, And all of this will lead to judgment in the long, long, long haul. So we're going to end here and cover the rest of the chapter next week. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, teach us to walk in your, your ways. Teach us to know shame and to listen to warnings. Help us to always seek and follow you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloridebaptistchurch, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.